Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Welcome to the Sierra Wireless fourth quarter and year-end 2021 conference call. I'll now turn the call over to David Climey, Vice President of Investor Relations. Thanks and good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for joining today's conference call and webcast. On the call today are Phil Brace, President and CEO, and Sam Cochran, our CFO. As a reminder, today's presentations are being webcast and will be available on our website following the call. Before we get started, I will reference the company's cautionary note regarding forward-looking statements. Today's presentation contains certain statements and information that are not based on historical facts and constitute forward-looking statements within the meaning of securities laws. These statements include our strategy goals, objectives, expectations, and commentary regarding the outlook for our business. Our forward-looking statements are based on a number of material assumptions which could prove to be significantly incorrect. Additionally, forward-looking statements are based on our management's current expectations, and we caution investors that forward-looking statements, particularly those that relate to longer periods of time, are subject to substantial known and unknown material risks and uncertainties that could cause actual events or results to differ significantly from those expressed or implied by our forward-looking statements. I draw your attention to longer discussion of our risk factors in our annual information form and management discussion and analysis, which can be found on CDAR and EDGAR as well as other regulatory filings. This presentation should also be imbued in conjunction with our quarterly earnings release. With that, I will now turn the call over to Phil for his quarterly update. Thanks, David, and thank you everyone for joining us on the call today. Total revenue in the fourth quarter was 149.9 million, and we generated 7.3 million in adjusted EBITDA, ahead of our guidance. Adjusted net earnings was 1.1 million in the quarter, positive for the first time in two and a half years. We shipped more devices in the fourth quarter than any quarter in the preceding three years, excluding the automotive business that was sold in late 2020. In Q4, the Sierra team worked diligently with customers, partners, and suppliers as we delivered 24% year-over-year revenue growth and 82% sequential growth, enabling us to finish a challenging year on a positive note. Before I turn the call over to Sam to provide more details on the fourth quarter and year-end financials, I'd like to update you on our current manufacturing and supply chain situation and our view of the current end customer demand environment. From a manufacturing and supply chain standpoint, we said during our last conference call that we plan to add additional manufacturing capacity to achieve production diversity and manufacturing resiliency. We accomplished that by adding capacity to an existing facility and ramping up new production at a site in Mexico. The manufacturing lines at the Mexican facility are running at capacity, and we're building our 4G and 5G enterprise routers there so they can be quickly shipped into the U.S. market. Combined with our existing Vietnamese facility, we now have three manufacturing locations, giving us improved flexibility with multi-factory production. This was a key factor in allowing us to build and ship product in Q4 for our customers globally. Regarding the industry-type supply chain environment, We decided last year to use our strong balance sheet and play offense, investing in parts and components to secure raw material supply. Our procurement team did an exceptional job with our partners and suppliers in the fourth quarter, which enabled us to respond to our customers' strong demand. 
Going forward, our strategy remains the same as we continue to make the necessary investments in parts and components so we can convert them into finished goods. That said, we continue to see long lead times for chips and components, and we believe the tight supply environment will be with us through 2022. COVID outbreaks continue to be a watch item, but we believe we're in a much better position with improved geographic diversity to mitigate the potential impact of the pandemic. Now, regarding the current demand environment, we entered 2022 with the strongest backlog in company history, and we continue to have solid demand for our devices and our services. We are seeing more customers wanting to add intelligence at the edge and doing more IoT monitoring in industrial, enterprise, energy, and public safety markets. In modules, we're seeing great demand for our LPWA products, particularly the infrastructure space with applications in smart meters, public lighting, and asset management. We're also seeing traction with our 5G modules in enterprise applications and industrial networking. In enterprise solutions, we are seeing strong demand across the board for our products in public safety, energy, and industrial IoT markets, including our RV gateways, our newest 4G, 5G, XR series, which is tracking to be the fastest ramping product line in our history. And demand for our flexible smart SIM connectivity offering is strong with customers deploying IoT solutions in applications such as industrial monitoring, asset tracking, transportation, and security. I believe strongly that we are at the front end of a wave of demand as these markets will continue to grow for years to come, especially as more 5G applications emerge. At Sierra Wireless, we have a unique and strong position in the IoT market with modules, routers, and connectivity services. Given the current trends in IoT, combined with the current record backlog in our strong balance sheet, we are confident that we can grow profitably going forward. With that, I will turn the call over to Sam for his review of the fourth quarter and year-end results. Thank you, Phil. Good afternoon, everyone. Note that we report our financial results in U.S. dollars and on a U.S. gap basis. We also present non-GAAP results to provide a better understanding of our operating performance. A full reconciliation between our GAAP and non-GAAP results is available on our website. Total revenue in the fourth quarter was 149.9 million, up 24.4% compared to 120.5 million the same period last year. Looking at our two reporting segments, IoT solutions revenue was 104.5 million in Q4, up 28% year over year. Enterprise solutions revenue was 45.4 million, an increase of 17% year over year. In the fourth quarter, product revenue grew by 29% year over year to 113.6 million. And connectivity software and services revenue was 36.3 million, higher by 11% compared to Q4 the prior year. The improved performance in the fourth quarter was primarily due to continued strong demand coupled with the increased manufacturing capacity as we brought on additional production at two manufacturing facilities, as well as improved sourcing of raw materials, parts, and components. Gross profit in the fourth quarter was $48.7 million, up 12% year-over-year. Gross profit margin in Q4 was 32.5%, up 320 basis points, compared to Q3 2021. Non-GAAP operating expenses in the fourth quarter were 
45.5 million, down 4.6 million or 9.2% compared to Q4 the prior year. This reflects our ongoing cost efficiency initiatives that we've been undertaking throughout the company. Sequentially, OPEX was up slightly, primarily due to the additional product certifications that were moved from Q3 into Q4. As mentioned in our last call, we continue to manage our OPEX and CAPEX tightly across all areas of the business. In Q4, our adjusted EBITDA was positive 7.3 million compared to adjusted EBITDA of negative 2.9 million a year ago. For the full year 2021, total revenue was 473.2 million, an increase of 5.5% over the previous year. For the full year, adjusted EBITDA in 2021 was negative 7.8 million compared to negative 34.9 million the prior year. Moving to the balance sheet, we ended the fourth quarter of 2021 with 76.9 million of cash. Cash flow from operations in Q4 was positive 7 million and CapEx was 4.1 million in the quarter. During the fourth quarter, we continued our strategy of investing in inventory to secure a stable supply of parts and components to support our growth. In mid-January, we announced the company had secured a new debt facility with CIBC and BDC for approximately 50 million US dollars. This debt facility currently has an attractive interest rate and strengthens our balance sheet, giving us greater flexibility as we grow and operate the business going forward. Regarding guidance for the first quarter, the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on our global business continues to remain uncertain. While we continue to experience and evaluate the effects on our business, the overall severity and duration of adverse impacts related to COVID-19 on our business, financial condition, cash flows, and operating results for the remainder of 2022 and beyond cannot be reasonably estimated at this time. As Phil mentioned, global demand for our products remains very strong. Given this environment, we are guiding a revenue range in the first quarter of the year of $135 million to $150 million, with a midpoint of $142.5 million. With that, I will now turn the call over to questions. Operator, please open the lines. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask questions, please press star and the number one on your telephone. We'll pause for just a moment to compile the Q&A roster. For our first question, we have Scott Searley from Roth Capital. Scott, your line is open. Hey, good afternoon. Thanks for taking my question. Um, nice call, guys. Uh, excellent job on the quarter. Hey, um, Sam, maybe just quickly for clarification, I was wondering if, if you could quantify the gross margin impact of various component costs and any expedite or freight or otherwise. And then given where we are in the first quarter and your guidance, I was wondering if you could give us some idea of what the gross margin profile looks like and maybe sequentially the different business units, how you're thinking about things given that we've got another five weeks left in the quarter. And then I had a, a quick follow-up. Oh, thanks for your questions. Um, so we're not gonna give gross margin guidance, but I'll give a little bit more color on it. What we're seeing is we're, we're obviously in a very inflationary period right now. So we're seeing pressure from increased component parts, uh, component costs. On the other side of it, we're seeing very strong demand in modules, which is exciting in one part, but on the other part, that does put a little bit of pressure on gross margin as well. So I do expect that gross margin flattened out in Q3, as discussed previously, and we'll see it to continue to rise over 2022, um, but, but no sort of sharp uh, uplift in the near term 
given those uh, two pieces I just discussed. Gotcha. Very helpful. And, and Phil, if I could, um, I know it's still early, but I guess we're almost 200 days in at this point in time. Um, tremendous turnaround in the module side and enterprise side of the business, right? You know, I think enterprise is, is back to, to near peak levels. Modules, as you said, I think is up uh, the highest level it's seen in three years. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, looking at the businesses today, if there are some guidelines that you could give us in terms of the module business, what that gross margin profile could look like in a normalized environment, what those targets are going to be, and the big snapback that we've seen this quarter, which was tremendous, um, is, that, is that just a snapback? Is it sustainable at these levels? I know it's subject to component availability, but just to kind of better understand the supply-demand profile, is this a snapback or is this a sustained level that we think about building as uh, we enter a more normalized environment for the supply chain? Thanks. Yeah, thanks. Well, let me try, try my best to answer that. I mean, we kind of mentioned that we have basically record backlog. We do have record backlog, not basically record backlog across across our product lines. Um, so demand for, for the products is, is very good. We have seen, as I think I mentioned in Q3, Q3 was uniquely kind of impacted our our module business, this is where we were underwater the most in terms of, in terms of some of the volume. Uh, having said that, right, so we, we did see a bit of a snapback there in Q4 and, and certainly into reflected in the guidance in Q1. Having said that, demand for those products is, is very strong. Uh, and so the competitive dynamic in that market tends to lend itself to slightly lower gross margins than, than we have on average of the company. But frankly, I'm working to keep the cost down, continue to work on our supply chain and, and continue to drive improvements there as well, such that we should see, uh, we should see you know, continued leverage in the model and frankly, continued good growth and good growth and profit. And that's really what, what I'm trying to do. In terms of the three businesses, obviously it's, uh, you know, modules are on the lower side, enterprise and connectivity are on the higher side. So that's kind of how that, how that shapes out going forward. In terms of, is it sustainable? I mean, uh, Look, right now we're going to be, I anticipate being in a supply-constrained environment uh, through all of 2022 at this point. So we are continuing to fight for components. Demand is very strong. We have the manufacturing capacity in place to, to meet that. It's all going to be just, uh, can we get the parts and turn them into finished goods? Great. Thanks so much. Great quarter. Thank you. For our next question, we have Mike Wolkley from Cancor Genuity. Mike, your line is open. Great. Uh, thanks for my questions and uh, congratulations to the team for the uh, return to a non-GAAP profits. So, you know, great to see. I guess just following up on on Scott's questions on on supply demand. You know, historically Q1 is is a low point for revenue, but you know, obviously when our different environment is you're at record backlog. You know, given the tightness of components, any thoughts on seasonality for the year? I know it's tough to get components. I'm just trying to get a feel for you know catch-up demand versus um, your ability to uh, get supply to keep these type of, you know, run rates for the next couple quarters? Yeah, I, I think, as you point out, I, I think any kind of focus on uh, seasonality, any sort of data historical perspective on seasonality is uh, certainly distorted in the current environment. Um, and, and frankly, we've got more demand that would blow through any seasonality than we would have anyway. So, um, you know, I, I think that we really don't have any good guidance on seasonality. I would just say that the, the, the backlog has continued to, to grow um, and we've been continuing to try and recover as much as we can given bringing online more, uh, you know,
more of our facilities globally and, and securing components. Um, but, you know, I think that any sort of historic, what, what you see now reflected in our guidance really doesn't have to do with seasonality, historic seasonality. It's really around what we think we can, you know, the range of stuff we can get out in the quarter. Right. That's a, and so just, just a follow-up for you, um, you know, your predecessor committed to wireless to these longer-term targets, I believe, all the way back in June 2019 of about 200 million and 400 million in these LTAR targets. Is it still relevant to see how you run the business? And if not, you know, what metrics do you think investors should focus on? As I did notice, you changed the way you report some of the, some of the line items. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for thanks for asking that question. Obviously, the current run rate. It's not realistic to assume where we hit those targets. And frankly, as you pointed out, I think that that focus on those things resulted in confusing metrics like LTAR that uh, very few people, including myself, really understood. And, and frankly, I think to pursue those revenue targets required us to run losses uh, and make poor decisions. So my goal is to grow this company uh, profitably. Uh, both in the short term and the long term. We're seeing very strong demand for our products. Uh, I'm going to be focused on profitable growth. Having said that, I do believe that building a recurring revenue business uh, is, will be an important part of the strategy, but uh, I do not believe those, those long-term targets that were set three years ago are currently valid, and I'm going to be focused on growing the company holistically and growing it profitably going forward. Great, thanks. One last question for me, and I'll pass the line. Um, I appreciate the, that answer to that question. Sam, just, just for you, so it's great to see Sierra Wireless using their strong balance sheet to uh, procure components. You know, a lot of your competitors are really struggling in that area. You know, how should we think just about unbinding that over time in terms of uh, you know, working capital and cash levels? Or, or, or another way to ask it, should we assume kind of these high levels of inventory for the next you know, couple quarters? Yeah, good question. So there's two competing things happening, right? There was the Q3 shutdown, which led us to build up inventory, right? That is starting to normalize, but that's going right into very, very strong demand on both our modules and our gateways and routers. So while we've done stuff like raise prices to, to protect our margins, um, and we continue to look at that, the demand remains very strong. So we're having to continue to invest in components to meet our customer demand. So I would I would think that inventory will stay sort of in line with where it is right now um, over, the, over the next few quarters. Um, I, don't, I don't see any big, you know, movements in it. But as you kind of see that play out over the year, um, depending on how demand uh, metrics play out in the second half, you'll kind of see us go up and down on inventory, and that will obviously impact free cash flow. But as Phil said, our goal is to grow this company, grow it profitably, and ultimately deliver that free cash flow. Great, that makes sense. And, you know, congrats to your procurement team. As a, like I said, you guys seem to be doing better than others out there getting the components. Thanks. Take my questions. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs, five to eleven grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. 
Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. For our next question, we have Josh Nichols from B. Riley. Josh, your line is open. Yeah, thanks for taking my question. <clears throat> Good to see um, a lot of the company's cost improvement initiatives taking hold here, pivoting back to free cash flow generation. On that note, how should we think about OPEX for 22 relative to four Qs or some additional uh, opportunities to, to make some cuts there? And does the firm expect to remain free cash flow positive throughout the, the coming quarters? Yeah, so good question. So um, I'll grab that and Phil, if you have anything to add, uh, please add it. The way we're looking at OPEX, and I think I've said this uh, before, is sort of flat is the new up. So OPEX will be flat at most up in the 2 to 3% range, call it sort of, you know, some small wage inflation and these sort of things. But we expect to get a lot of leverage out of this model, which means, you know, growing revenue at a much higher pace and keeping OPEX flat. So um, that, that's the comment on OPEX. Now, free cash flow, again, is going to go into our continued very strong demand and good visibility into demand. It's having us to invest in our working capital to, to meet that demand. Um, so depending on those sort of working capital items, we will be in a position to deliver continued you know, profit growth and free cash flow with, with an eye on those working capital numbers. Does that make sense? Yeah, thanks uh, for the clarity. And then I, I know you mentioned it, I mean, record backlog, right? Anything you could do to kind of quantify that a little bit as far as like the dollar value or book to bill? I'm just curious how much visibility you have, at least from a demand backdrop on, on the revenue opportunity for this year. Do you have orders that are going out through 3Q, 4Q? Where, what, what does that look like now? Uh, we started, so, take, uh, oh, go ahead, Phil. Yeah, we've started to take orders, not to say, you know, we have started to have customers start placing orders into 2023 at this point. Well, okay. Uh, and then last question for for me. Um, I guess historically, well, I, you mentioned that seasonality is a little bit different this quarter, but I know the first quarter is usually a little bit softer than, than the fourth quarter. I think that's kind of how, how guidance shakes out. But with the inventory build and the backlog that you have, is it fair to assume that like there's a good chance that the company is going to be able to kind of continue to, to grow the revenue base as you progress throughout the year? And if so, like, I mean, that would imply that you could probably be doing somewhere around like 600 million potentially uh, of sales this year. Is that kind of in the ballpark with how you're thinking about the business? Sam, you want to take that one or you want me to, take a crack at it? Yeah, yeah, sure. I, I could jump in on that one. So, yeah, good question. Like, we do see sequential growth um, throughout the year. If you look at Q1 guidance, that midpoint of 142.5, you know, that, that the seasonality is a little bit odd this year because we still are seeing impacts from the Q3 shutdown. You know, it wasn't all into Q4. Some of that's going to go into Q1 as well. So you mentioned 600. I mean, that's a little bit hot, but if you sort of do a little bit of basic math of 142.5 and 
and you, you add a little bit of sequential growth through there, you start to get pretty close. So I think you're thinking about it close to accurately, um, may, maybe a tiny bit hot, but, but about right. Thanks, guys. I'll let someone else uh, hop in the queue. For our next question, we have Derek Soderberg from Collier. Derek, your line's open. Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for taking my questions. Um, so, Phil, in your prepared remarks, you talked about, uh, you know, growing need for software and connectivity. Um, just want to touch on monthly recurring revenue exiting the year. Uh, I guess with yep. the strong uh, quarter and hardware, um, you know, and sales, I guess, from prior quarters, I, I, I guess I would have expected uh, that number to grow a bit more. Um, I guess, could you just explain some of the puts and takes going on in there? You know, is it a lower attach rate, lower data consumption, um, you know, but more devices? Um, anything uh, would be great. Thanks. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. You know, look, overall, that grew 10.5% year over year. It, it is going to continue to be an important part of our of our business there. You know, having said that, there are lots of pieces in there, as you know. That, that A lot of that segment is combined with lots of acquisitions that were made historically. So there's some stuff that's going up. There's some stuff that's going down. You know, and, and frankly, as I've I kind of implied before, I'm in the process of doing a little bit of a deeper dive in that particular area to, to go there. There may be some some businesses in there that aren't uh, strategically aligned with where we want to go. Uh, just because something has MRR doesn't mean it's necessarily right for us. So building building a recurring revenue is going to be an important part. I'm going to continue to look at it. Um, you know, there's kind of various different puts and takes in there. Um, and I'll be continuing to evaluate that going forward. Got it. Um, and then just uh, off that, uh, with those product lines that are sort of declining, I guess, uh, is there a timeline for when those sort of base out? Um, now look, we're, we're trying to, I'm trying to actually figure out, you know, overall how to focus, grow the business holistically. So, you know, it's a little premature to comment on like kind of what's, what's in and out of there. I think what you need to walk away with is, you know, I and the management team are got both hands on the wheel. We're going to drive to grow this business profitably, uh, and make sure that we're allocating capital to the right areas that are, have uh, the best ROI for the business. Got it. Um, and if I could just squeeze in another one, um, you, Phil, again, you know, you've sort of went through this hiccup in Q3 when you joined. Uh, you sort of laid out these uh, near-term strategic initiatives. Uh, curious if, um, you know, uh, on 2022, you know, what sort of are your updated initiatives? Like, what do you want to see for the year? Um, you know, divestitures, acquisitions, um, you know, growing profitably, I think you mentioned. Um, any initiatives you can point to for this year? Yeah, I think I think it's fair to say that I, you know, we've uh, we've had a pretty turbulent uh, first uh, six. I think Scott mentioned 200 days. I mean, it uh, feels like a lot longer than that. I mean, what what I'm trying to do is actually put the company on stable footing right now. I think that we've actually done the team's done a great job of kind of navigating some, uh, frankly, unprecedented unprecedented uh, areas. What I expect to see going forward is a continued focus on minimum double digit revenue growth with expanding profit margins and expanding EBITDA margins as we go throughout the year, kind of holding OPEX flat. I will likely, you know, when we think about the future going forward, um, you know, I'm going to be pursuing some evaluation of the portfolio and taking a look to see kind of what makes sense, what not. Uh, I think that, you know, consolidation, you know, in the industry, there's a lot of talk about that. I, I do think that's inevitable uh, out there. And, so, and I do think there are some interesting opportunities uh, in the industry. 
but right now for me and for the company, I'm focused on taking the portfolio of products we have and making sure they, they operate as best as we can. Got it. Thanks, guys. For our next question, we have Todd Copland from CIBC. Todd, your line is open. Uh, yeah, good evening, everyone. Um, I, just a point of a clarification, and then I had a question. So is the $36 million, the, the connectivity solutions business that grew 11%, is that also being defined as recurring revenue or MRR? Is, are those interchangeable? Because I think there's some services in yeah, that yeah. as well. Yeah, basically right. There's a small amount that doesn't get included, a very small amount, but essentially that divided by three is close to the uh, the number you see there for MRR. Okay, and that's the piece that grew at eleven percent. And how? And 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 the the prior question, the commentary around some puts and takes, acquired businesses, not sure all of it fits, et cetera. That's all around the uh, the MRR. MRR you'll keep as a metric, and then the long-term LTAR stack, et cetera, gets, uh, uh, is, is not relevant. That's, uh, th that was a the point there, right? That's correct, yeah. So Phil sort of is trying to make it clear that you know, his focus is to grow the whole business holistically, grow it profitably without uh, sort of you know, myopic view on just services. So I, th I think that's the point uh, he's trying to get across there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Todd, I didn't get that. The Altar thing, we, we're no longer going to be talking about that period. So yeah. there's a bunch of stuff. Yeah. In that was a hard metric for us to reconcile uh, regardless. So I'm not surprised to hear yeah. that. Um, and then just thinking about the growth in the business, I know there's been lots of questions about, you know, pull forward versus sort of secular demand. Like how much of, like, if you were to think about the business 5G plus other trends, like how, how much of a, a, a tailwind is that right now? Like I, I thought 5G was sort of slowly coming on. Then you reference it a number of times in your prepared comments. Is is that actually kicking up in a material way? Um, you know, maybe what are the other two or three factors as we think about qualitatively, you know, beyond uh, the pandemic, what's uh, pressing the business? Thank you. Yeah, let me try that. Uh, you know, one of the things I guess I'm uh, I'm excited about. I I think you know 5G, as you point out now. I mean, it's it's a it's a nascent small part of the business, but it's starting to grow. And when I think about having, uh, you know, a decade or some some long number like that of deployments behind us, or excuse me, in front of us, uh, I just feel great. Uh, low power LPWA is great. Private networks, all of our enterprise business. I mean, what I get excited about the long-term growth opportunities is just the number of things that we have that are tailwinds from when you just think about smart infrastructure, smart meters, just of this whole idea of work from home in the IT space. This is just being now translated into the infrastructure energy space, right? And I think that that you know, I, I think there's some tremendous growth opportunities there, not just in 5G, but 4G, LPWA, routers, gateways, managed connectivity. Uh, you know, I, I think this whole, to go back to the pandemic, when I look at the pandemic impact, you know, for us, it was around, you know, impacting our manufacturing and recovering from that. When you think more globally, this whole idea of being able to remotely manage and monitor things, uh, I think that's only going to accelerate that trend. Okay. Yeah, that's helpful. And then when you think about, again, um, people have often thought about this business 
a little bit com commoditized. Can you sort of characterize um, what you think are Sierra's strongest competitive advantages that can drive that double-digit growth you're talking about? Yeah, look, I, I think that obviously every every market that we participate in is is got some competitors, and and we want to compete vigorously. I think there's a very valuable role that we can play as a trusted Western provider uh, in this space. And um, I think that when we look at, at modules, for example, some of our uh, RF capabilities, performance, low power uh, are very very key there. Our router space, our new 5G products are getting very good reviews in the marketplace for their performance, their ruggedized space. They're really targeted at a more industrial use case, which I think is great. And then on, on uh, the managed connectivity side, the ability to build and deploy solutions that can go anywhere in the world and connect up to the best network and have that uh, managed appropriately is also a value proposition that's resonating with customers. So I feel good about our, our competitive position. That is not to say, however, that we don't have a lot of work uh, left to do. I mean, frankly, I'm, I mean, as six months in, 200 days, there's a lot more things we can do to be a lot more competitive here. Um, and uh, certainly my team and I are going to be focused on that. Okay. Um, and last question for me. Um, you know, you signaled sector consolidation. Um, <clears throat> you know, some have speculated on sort of Sierra's place in that as a consolidator or now with, you know, your focus on costs and cash flow, whether Sierra Wireless perhaps uh, is consolidated. Can you just sort of clarify your stance in the market and, you know, commitment to the strategy and all that just to help us understand, you know, where you're hoping to take the company? Thanks a lot. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's uh, my number one focus is to grow the company, grow the property profitably, and, and frankly, build some some equity value. And uh, you know, that's really what we're what we're looking to do. I am more likely to um, clean up the portfolio and do a divestiture prior to me doing an acquisition because I think one of the things, the challenges we have with Sierra, frankly, is that it was a confusing story and it has been a confusing story. We, we're doing a lot of things, and so. I'm more likely to, uh, you know, clean up some of the smaller businesses and perhaps divest them prior to an acquisition. Mm -hmm. However, long term, right, I think it's pretty clear there's a number of, of players in the space, including Sierra, whose big businesses, you could argue, would, would benefit from uh, the scale for which consolidation uh, provides. And so, uh, you know, I, I think that that is likely at some point in time. Uh, but right now, I'm kind of focused on building the businesses uh, that we have, returning them to profitability and profitable growth. I'm likely to do divestiture prior to acquisition, and then we'll see where we go from there. Great. Appreciate all the color. Thanks a lot. Thank you. For our next question, we have Paul Traber from RBC Capital Markets. Paul, your line is open. Um, thanks very much, and good afternoon. In regards to Q4, you know, $150 million in revenue, and then also the, the outlook for Q1, it doesn't sound like you know, demand is a constraint for either of those. Uh, is, was manufacturing capacity a constraint for Q4, and then now the constraint for Q1 is component availability? Am I, am I getting that, characterizing that right? Um, you know, I mean, uh, gosh, I guess I never really 
Q4 was kind of a turbulent time because we were just coming out. We were bringing back up the, with our partners. We were bringing back up Vietnam. We were starting to ramp Mexico. So um, I guess I would say that uh, Q4 was likely manufacturing constrained, and then Q1 is probably component constrained. I think that's probably a fair statement to make. But, you know, it it – yeah, I, I think that's probably probably okay at this point. It's not uh, it's not perfect, but close enough. More dominated that, this way. Q4 is more dominated by our own manufacturing, and Q1 is more dominated by component supply. Okay, that's helpful. And then as you look out through uh, twenty two or, or twenty three, I mean, obviously the, the the short term focus is probably on on component securing component supplies, but at, at what point would manufacturing would you look to expand the manufacturing footprint further? Yeah, that's a great question, and and uh, we've talked about it. I, you know, we have made some targeted investments um, in in some particular product lines that are at the beginning part of their part of their ramp, and and uh, we believe strongly that the demand uh, is there in the out out years. I think that. What I don't want to do is bring on extra capacity and then be stuck, you know, when when we we can't get the supply. So I think it's going to be a combination of uh, we're going to be cautious on that. But you know, look, if we get more visibility in, into a stronger supply line in terms of components and our demand remains solid, then clearly we'll be looking at. And I think that's one of the things our strong balance sheet enables us to do, uh, should that opportunity be there. But you know, I've, I've uh, like like many of you, I've been around the block a few times, right? So I'm pretty cautious on on adding extra fixed capacity that that will be sitting idle if I if I can't use it. And then, you know, with, with record backlog, um, you know, obviously it looks like demand is outpacing uh, supply. Um, mm-hmm. You know, can you help us understand like the demand? The, is it perishable? And if if it is or it is not, like, what are customers doing if they're not able? to secure supply from you? Are they just, you know, delaying shipments or they're not including connectivity in it? Can you help us understand what's going on there? Yeah, that's a, that's, that is a good question. And a question I ask, uh, you know, my, uh, the customers when I talk to them a bunch, I mean, the good news is, is that oftentimes we are not the only supply problem we're dealing with. Um, you know, I I think you know in in Q3 when we were dealing with our our own major situations, I mean we were a much more significant bottleneck, uh, which is why we were really scrambling to recover from that. I, I never want to be in a situation where we're blocking our customers. So, um, you know, I, I think uh, right now we're trying to do our best to meet our customers' minimum quantities to make sure that we are not the blocker in their situation. And I think what they're seeing is just l- like like what we are seeing in our own supply. I think just in general, what, what our customers are doing is lead times for products are going up, uh, right? So lead times are going out and, and um, that, that's what they tend to do is just reschedule it out, out later in time is what I'm seeing. Okay, thank you for taking my question. Okay. Presenters, we don't have any further questions at this time. Please continue. Okay, I think uh, at this point uh, we're done with the call. I would like to take a moment 
uh, and express my appreciation for all of our employees, suppliers, partners, customers. It's been a challenging, certainly a challenging 2021. Uh, and I appreciate all the partnership and collaboration we've got across the board. Uh, close the call. The future is very bright. The demand is very strong. Uh, we are going to execute well and uh, grow this company profitably going forward. Thanks for everybody's support and joining the call today. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you all for participating. You may now disconnect. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.